There's no podcast like our podcast, like no podcast I know. Everything about it is appealing, everything the format will allow. Nowhere can you get that happy feeling while you are sleeping or working out. Last week they told us we would not go far, that night we recorded and here we are. Hopefully we don't end up like Roseanne Barr, let's go! On with the show! Hello everybody, welcome to uh, Massive Late Fee. There's my uh, little amateur... Um. What's the word I'm looking for, Mike? Uh, theme music. If uh, yeah, you don't want, if you don't want to hear me uh, sing anymore, send in a uh, a theme song for us to use. So today we've got uh, some news. Uh, thanks everyone for listening last week. We had a uh, a very good turnout of people. We're getting our social media feet out uh, from under us. Uh, we have a Facebook now. If you go on Facebook and look for Massive Late Fee, you'll find us there. Uh, if you go to Twitter, at Massive Late Fee, you'll find us there. Uh, you can email us if you want to email us a theme song or ask us a question or tell us how much we suck. You can go to uh, mishsportsent at gmail.com. And talk to us there. I, I thought about creating a Gmail account for us, Mike, but I already have like five Gmail accounts for the different things that we do. And I just really didn't feel like we having another one. Sure. So uh, how was your week, Mike? Good? Yeah, it was right. How was your week? Oh, it was fine. You know, uh, busy working on the, the site at, at uh, Michigan Sports and Entertainment. Um haven't had a lot of time to see a ton of movies. Today, we'll be talking about our favorite horror movies in honor of Halloween. But uh, first, there's some interesting items in the news that I kind of wanted to get your take on. The first one, um, they are rebooting Child's Play. I'm not sure if you've heard this or not. But uh, they're rebooting it without the input of the original director, uh, Don Mancini. He uh, he wants to continue his timeline, the continuity of, of the films that he did uh, with a TV series. Does so, that include so, like the Jennifer Tilly movies? Or yes. Those yes. Same? Oh. yes. So, yeah, Bride of Chucky and... Uh, uh, Seed of Chucky is yeah, one of them, I believe. Yeah. Yep. So he's gonna he's gonna continue those with a, a TV show. I'm not sure when that's going to come out, but so there will be two Child's Play timelines going on simultaneously. The reboot is supposed to come out, I believe, next year. I like they're I, starting. I, are you saying they're like starting entirely from the beginning, like a completely? I mean, the exact same movie, but with different actors, essentially. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Just what the world's been clamoring for all these years. Yeah, another child's play movie. I mean, when that movie came out, uh, I think in '88 or something like that. Um, I, 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 you know, I saw it in the theater. Actually, it might have been a little later. Not, well, I was around nine or ten, I suppose. Um, that's how much either the world has changed or how little my parents cared about me. But um, 
Yeah, I saw it in the theater. I mean, it was good. I liked it uh, as a nine-year-old. Uh, it still holds up, I think, uh, decently. But yeah, they did get very silly very quickly. Uh, and I just... You, you know how I feel about reboots. I'm not a big fan of the reboots and the remakes and things like that. But What I about reimaginings? <laughs> the only remake that I will support is the shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho. I didn't see that, but I didn't think it was necessary to see that. No, if you've seen the original Psycho, you don't need to see it. You know, um, it's... You know what improved Psycho? Vince Vaughn. <laughs> oh, just... I mean, Anthony Perkins, he's okay, I guess. You know, um, someone had a theory... Uh, and I don't know if it's just wishful thinking or, or not, but um, someone uh, said that they asked Gus Van Zant why he decided to do, to do that uh, and a shot for shot remake. You know, it's it's if you're going to do a remake, it's just weird to do it basically the exact same way. Um, and he said that he did it so no one else could. So I, I heard a theory that the reason that he decided to do this was so that no one would ever make a remake of Psycho because he loved the mo- the original movie so much. So I have a feeling that the uh, it's more like the scene in a in Jay and Saw Bob Strike Back where they cut the bun <laughs> just counting money. <laughs> yeah. Probably more. <laughs> he was riding high uh, in 98 because that was after Goodwill Hunting uh, was a big success because he did a lot of uh, indie small movies before that. He was definitely riding high. I could, I could absolutely see that where they said they wanted to make it. And um, and he said, OK, uh, I'll do it if you give me a bunch of money. I wonder if that was like, an, like oh, if you um, if I make this movie for you, I'll get to. I'll make a couple more independence, you know, or not independence, but you know, like my own movies that I, you know, conceived of. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a possibility. Uh, he's uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say he's an interesting filmmaker. Um, I I like a, a you know a, a fair amount of his movies. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I think maybe that's where the the theory comes from is that a lot of people happen to to like him and they can't imagine why he'd make this obviously inferior remake i, I haven't seen goodwill hunting but that also sounds like kind of a weird movie for him to make like with i've only seen two and maybe three i don't know if the third one was one of his movies mm-hmm. i've seen last days which i thought was pretty is a really interesting movie like i don't know if you've seen that yep yep like it's i just think it's a really Nice to look at it. I mean, not much goes on in the movie, but I mean, it's just really like a visually interesting movie. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I th- see. This is one I'm not sure. My own private Idaho. Is that his movie? I'm not. I'm not positive on that one. Uh, I'm not sure either. Should we look it up or should we just say fuck it? Um. I'll look it up in the meantime uh, while I'm talking, and I'll probably have a lot of weird pauses. Um. But if that's it, I, that's a really good movie. Like a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, don't really care yeah. for Keanu Reeves acting for some reason. <laughs> I'm actually a big fan of Keanu Reeves. Like I like most of the movies I've seen with him. Like I like The Matrix, Point Break, um, 
the John Wick movies, I like the first one a lot better, but I mean, you know, whatever. The fight choreography. Yeah, Bill and Ted 1 and 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, the first John Wick is just amazing. And uh, the the first Matrix, too, is just like, when I saw the first Matrix, it was like, I had to see it so many times. Or I saw it, that, I might have seen that movie more than any other movie because it's just like such an astonishing movie. See, I think that, you know, Keanu Reeves obviously doesn't have a ton of range as an actor, but I think that he's perfect for uh, The Matrix, John Wick, movies like that, because he's almost like an avatar for the audience. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't bring enough personality across to where it's impossible to put yourself in his shoes. I think a lot of those movies are about um, kind of connecting or living vicariously through the protagonist. And I think that's part of the reason why he's successful. Plus, he, he's very good at picking good movies. See, I think he's actually a pretty good comedic actor, too. Like, I like him in, um, obviously, Bill and Ted 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, he's in Parenthood for a little bit. He's pretty funny in that. I mean, he's basically playing the same role in a lot of them. But I, I just, yeah. just yeah. like the guy. Well, he seems like a very uh, genuinely nice person, too. I, I read about uh, how he gave up, um, I can't remember how much it was, something like 60 or 70% of his salary uh, on the Matrix sequels and gave it to the uh, visual effects artists because he, yeah, said, he said, without you guys, you, the, the movie's not successful. Yeah, if you just look up, like, Kind Acts by Keanu Reeves, it's just, like, that's all you hear. I mean, he just seems like a... I mean, I, I, I have a feeling that maybe he's, like... He's just kind of thrust in the role of, like, the lead actor when really he probably would be better as, like, a supporting actor, but he's, like, just, like, a good-looking guy. And I was like, oh, let's have him be the uh, star of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. But, yeah, he definitely seems like a genuinely good guy, so he's he's very easy to root for. Yeah, um, and I did look it up. Uh, my own private idol is Gus Van Zandt. It was written and directed by him. Wow, written, too. That's uh, you, Have you seen that? Yeah, that's a very good movie. It's, it's it's really I, I mean I guess it's based on um, Henry the some Shakespeare one I'm not sure which one it's not Henry the fifth uh, but it's it's a Shakespearean movie I don't know which one my knowledge of Shakespeare movies basically says what I learned in high school <laughs> and I guess I guess they made plays out of them too some of them it's kind of weird <laughs> yeah that, that's yeah, real, that's, that. that's like again it's like a visually like really like kind of astounding movie like and the other one that I saw by Gus Van Zandt was Elephant did you see that one yeah I think we watched that together. That's possible. I, I have no recollection ever of any movie I've seen with anyone. So if you told me you saw any movie I've ever seen in my life with me, I'd be like, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think we saw that together. That's the one about the school shooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was another movie that um, it kind of bored me. But visually, it's it's uh, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I think they used like a lot of like amateur kind of actors too, and most of the actors like had their own name too. Like it was like you know, the name of the actor is the same name as the character. Yeah, I think he was trying to go for as much realism as he could in that movie, um, because it was so it was so recently after Columbine, and uh, and that you know school shootings had been in uh, in the news a lot uh, during that time. But yeah, I think I feel like. We either saw that in the theater or we rented it. Um, I think it was um, a rental. Yeah, I think we rented it and and watched it together. But I, I definitely know I've seen it, and I'm pretty sure That's it was crazy. with you. 
Yeah, I really, that was, again, that was like, it was just basically they just had every possible like excuse as to why, there was really every excuse and no excuse as to why they were actually doing the shooting. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of like a, I guess that's kind of almost like a, uh, you know, like you can decide what's happening in the movie kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. So the other big news, well, I don't know if it's big news, but the other I'll news. I'll yeah. that child's play, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Yeah, how did we get there? But um, anyway, I, d- digressions oh, are all this show's, all about, this show's so. about. Yeah, we were talking about Psycho, and then I went to Gus Van Zandt. So, so the other news uh, today is that Tom and Jerry, uh, if you're familiar with them, the cat and the mouse, uh, are coming to the big screen in a uh, live-action CGI blended film. I I don't know if I can I don't even know if I can conceive of what my thoughts could be on a Tom and Jerry movie. Um I I assume that it's going to be marketed to children. I can't imagine that adults would want to see this. It's ridiculous because I have a uh, a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old. If I asked them who Tom and Jerry were, they would have no clue. Yeah, that's the problem, is that the only people that know who Tom and Jerry are are, you know, our age or older, and none yeah, of even them are age, Even our age, you know, I don't feel that it was on that much. No, I think I saw some reruns uh, when I was very little, but it's certainly not... I mean, I think you have to be around 50 or 60 to really have a strong childhood attachment to Tom and Jerry, but a a CGI um, live action blend. And the other thing that they're going to do is they're do, they're rebooting the Scooby-Doo movie. Now here's Warner brothers idea. Since the DC movies haven't taken off, they they're desperate to create their own cinematic universe like Marvel. They're rebooting Scooby-Doo, and they want to develop their own Hanna-Barbera movie cinematic universe. Wow. I don't know why, but wow. The uh, the people behind it are... Um, are their names Hanna and Barbera by chance? <laughs> no. I think they're dead. Um, Christopher Columbus is uh, going to produce most of these movies. I guess he's taking the Kevin Feige role from uh marvel where he's sort of the producer behind all these different movies the scooby-doo remake is going to be directed by dax shepherd uh he was on parenthood oh i know, I know who dax shepherd is I, I like him i didn't know he uh did he direct the chips movie i think he might have i'm not sure i think he did, like, yeah. He did yeah i didn't care i see the problem that i like that movie i didn't like that movie i like dax shepherd a lot though but that movie specifically i just I, I don't know what it was i i never really saw the original chips i don't think that really would have had a factor though i watched it when i was a kid um it you know it's i i didn't i actually didn't see the movie the chips movie, but I I had no interest in in saying it's just not another one of those things that they were bringing back from the eighties that I didn't want to see. Yeah, it was on like HBO when I saw it. I'm like, oh, I'll watch it because I like Dax Shepard, but I just it just did nothing for me. I mean, I, I do like Dax Shepard like- too, though. I think I gave it a chance because uh, have you seen the the twenty one and twenty two Jump Street remakes? I saw twenty one Jump Street. I didn't see twenty two Jump Street. Yeah, I don't know how I saw. I think I saw the twenty two first. Those movies are 
hilarious. Like I could watch, we watch Alex and I, my wife and I watch those all the time. Yeah. I want to watch, um, the second one. The first one I thought was very funny. Uh, the second uh, one is better, but that might be in my opinion, but I, I saw it first. So that might be, um, you know, and we watched them one time. We watched them like back to back, essentially like one night we watched one, the other, and the second one actually made a lot of references to the first one we'd catch the first time. <laughs> but yeah, that movie was funnier than it had a right to be in, in my opinion, because I had n- no expectations going into a 21 drum street movie that that was another show. My sister, because she was older than me, still is, watched um, watched that. Yeah, <laughs> she watched that show, uh, and I caught a little of it, but it wasn't really from for my age group. So I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't have any expectations for it. But when I saw it, I mean, like I said, it's way funnier than it it had a right to be. They did a very good job the writing on it and that's that's the thing i think you can make almost any premise or any any reboot or any kind of um you know take on something funny if the writing's good they they wrote a very funny script and that's and the performances are are very good and that's what and that's, that's what, what makes the movie yeah the, like i said if you get a chance i definitely watch 22 jump street that's that's a great I, it's a, one of the best comedies i've seen recently you know, yeah, I'll check yeah, out I'll check the show. One that I haven't sure. seen before. The other big news today is that The Connors is premiering tonight. Uh, it seems like just yesterday that Roseanne was rebooted and then canceled because of Roseanne's tweets. Uh, will, are you DVRing The Connors? Will you watch it? Did you watch any you of watch- the reboot, the Roseanne reboot? I think I watched like the first episode because I'm not a huge fan of Roseanne, but my wife just loves the show. Like she's like, she basically can know each episode line by line. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I watched it and it was all right, but I mean, really, if you look at the original series, the like the last couple seasons were just like really bad. Yeah, I agree. Um, I love the show too. I did think it fell off in the last few seasons. I watched all the episodes of the reboot. I, I liked it. I was, you know, upset when it was canceled um you know we don't get into politics much here as far as but i'll just say as far as political views go roseanne and i probably don't agree very much but i also hate um a a lot of the overtly political correctness that uh comes in our society and i hate people getting fired over stuff they say on social media and um i did not really support her getting fired over what she wrote uh or the you know the show getting canceled i i have i don't have a lot of desire to watch the reboot i probably will at least the first episode of the connor's reimagining but i don't have a lot of expectations for it because i mean that's like taking seinfeld out of the show seinfeld I mean, Roseanne was the heart of that show. Not that Seinfeld without Seinfeld couldn't be funny. I guess suppose it depends on if uh, uh, Larry David was was writing the episodes or not. But it would be way too different. Yeah. Um, see, the, the original run of Roseanne it was in a lot of ways like the anti-sitcom, kind of in the ways like Married with Children was. Mm-hmm. 
And like I'm not like I, I don't really watch network TV that much lately. You know, it's all like YouTube and Netflix and that kind of stuff, and like yeah, HBO. You know, it's just like a different like. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's not really like the traditional like you know, however three camera sitcom where there's a laugh track and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. the episode I saw of the remake or reimagining or whatever you want to call it of Roseanne was basically like any other standard sitcom. So they basically took what was special about the original or different, and it's like, oh, hey, look, look, DJ. Uh, Fell down the stairs, everyone laughed, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Well, yeah, I agree. The thing that was different about Roseanne, because in the climate that Roseanne existed in, uh, when I think it was like 89, I think it was 89 or 90 or something like that when the show first came out, um, the climate that she existed in was that every show on TV was a three-camera sitcom or a drama and that had been the way it was for since I Love Lucy, basically. So to be subversive or to be different in that time period was to be different or subversive in your content, which she was, Married with Children was. Um, but that's kind of old hat now. There are lots of shows, like you said, whether it's on Hulu Originals or, or YouTube, um, that are different in their content, subversive in their content. So now, really the way to push the envelope or to do things differently is uh, uh, format-wise, almost. You know, camera setup, um, the way you shoot television. Lots of things have changed in television as far as lighting and cinematography and and, um, and directing and stuff uh, than it used to be. It used to be... Very simple, flat lighting, very simple setups, because everything was done for efficiency, it was done for time. And now they there's a little more freedom as far as what directors are able to do and what creative people are able to do with the format. And I think, like you said, when you look at Roseanne now, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem subversive or different anymore like it used to. I agree with you on that. Yeah, at least the uh, the new one that I saw was just like, like you almost like forced to be as like politically correct as possible. It's like you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, if there's like a you know, natural element to it, like oh, this person happens, you know, be you know, um, like the boy who was like dressing in girls' clothes and that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, look, here's my new son, and he dresses like a girl. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. There's. Uh... I I definitely gave the show a chance um, because I know that our I I'm gonna speak for myself, but I think I I I'm pretty confident I speak for you two on this. Uh, my favorite comedian is Norm Macdonald. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, th- I was gonna say I'm pretty sure that you agree with me on that. Uh, you know, he got his start writing on Roseanne, and I'd first heard about that they were rebooting it uh, when he talked about it on Norm Macdonald Live. Uh, his show oh, on YouTube, and he said yeah, that were, he, he said he was coming back to write for it. So I was like, "Well, I'll give him oh, a chance." It doesn't seem like he wrote for it. The episode I saw. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, I think you. I watching the whole series, I could see a few of his jokes that probably got in there. Uh, a few that that seemed like Norm, but you know, he was always, I think, a cog in the machine of that. You know, like Chuck Lorre, the. Um, the, he didn't come back, obviously, because he and Roseanne don't like each other. But, um, you know, the guy behind the Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men, he started as, 
I don't think he was the head writer, but he was a an important writer on that show. And they, uh, he and Roseanne clashed a lot, which is eventually she fired him, which is why he didn't come back. But if you look at it, you can see kind of early signs of stuff that he did later with the Big Bang Theory and and Two and a Half Men on on Roseanne. You can see a little of his influence too, more than Norris. More than Norris. You're, I think you're more definitely more of like a a current up to current date with like cultural type things and TV shows and that kind of stuff. I honestly can't remember the last show I regularly watched that was on like a normal network. Maybe it might have been okay, I watched the following for like the first season. That's what but even I that I didn't watch the whole thing. It it was okay. I mean Kevin Bacon's in it. He's pretty good. Uh James Elfroy. Oh, yeah, that's that's not the right. one where he's a uh, serial killer, right? And that he's oh, like, got a fan yeah, club. He's like, yeah, exactly. And that was okay, but then that just became a little ridiculous as you know, as the very premise sounds like it would. I watched House, like the second season of House. I watched like every episode, and then like I missed an episode. I'm like, eh, I don't need to see it again. And I pretty much never saw it again. <laughs> House got House got bad towards the end, and I loved House. Um, oh, I watched. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting, but it was like such a formula. It's like, oh no, what is it? What is it? Oh, hold on, there's five minutes left. Oh, you know that thing I thought it couldn't be? It's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was definitely. Uh, what's a like CSI? It was definitely like CSI, but medical. Oh yeah, for, I mean it's like the exact same. It could be the exact same show. So if you switch the characters, I mean, if you know, you just took like the lines from Grissom and gave him the house, or vice versa, it'd yeah. be like, yeah. okay, this guy is smarter than everyone else. Yeah, I'm probably I probably am a little more versed on the the current stuff, not because I necessarily want to be, but you know, because I do the entertainment articles for Michigan sports, I I, I kind of have to be. I I prefer some of the originals um on hulu and um and i i strongly prefer youtube uh shows there are there are different like podcasts or um or uh like youtube series that i watch that i prefer to like one of my favorite things to watch is red letter media i don't know if you've ever seen them but they, um, I've only the only YouTube show I've ever seen, and YouTube is down right now. Hopefully, we'll get it back at some point. Right, right. Um, the only thing I've ever seen on YouTube was the Cobra Kai series. Okay, yeah, and I love I love that show. It that was, was awesome. I loved it too. That, that was another thing that was way better than it had a right to be. Yeah, that was. I mean, I like the actors. I mean, uh, oh, geez, Johnny, the guy who plays Johnny Loris, William Zopka, that guy. Yeah. I mean, in the eighties, he was like the biggest dick in like every movie, pretty much. Yep. Like he was in, uh, back to school as well for some reason. Yeah, he was. He yeah, was, he was the a, bad guy in Back to School. I think he I was think in. I, I like how he's a tough diver. I mean, you don't get many of those. Yeah, he's. Yeah. I'm on the dive team. Exactly. He's uh, he's a badass diver, which is you know, not two words that you hear together very often. Not as good as a six-year-old man, but still good. <clears throat> he was also in. Um, just one of the guys. Yeah, see, I thought he was in that. I don't really remember. Oh, I have a really horrible joke about that one that I'm going to keep to myself. <laughs> my my favorite part of that is um, when to prove to the what to the guy the guy that she likes that she's a woman. She just tears open her shirt and shows her chest, and he says, "What what are you doing having tits?" And then, <laughs> and then she kisses him, 
in front of everyone at this party, and he and they all think she's a guy too, and he just looks out over everybody and goes, "It's okay, she's got tits." <laughs> yeah, I've only seen bits of that movie. <laughs> That's a great line. I get to bust that out of someone. <laughs> what are you doing having tits? Oh my god, it's it, it it's one of those movies that I don't even know if I could say it's so bad it's good. It's enjoyable as a movie. I don't but it's not I don't think it lowers itself to the level of it's so bad it's good. It's just one of those things that if you don't take it seriously in any way it's amusing. Because of lines, because like, of lines that. like that. Isn't is Amanda Bierce in that one too? I am not sure. Marcy uh, from uh, Mary's Children. She's in some '80s movie. I don't know which one it is. Maybe it's not that one. I don't think she's in that one, but I I know what you're talking about. Um, what movie is it? But yeah, I know, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. She is definitely in one of those. You know, I I was uh, rewatching Sixteen Candles like a couple weeks ago for something that I was doing, and um, I forgot that uh, that Andrew Dice Clay was in that movie. I've never I've seen parts of that. Um, isn't there's a movie that's just like it or very so pretty? Is it Pretty in Pink? Yeah. Is that are they both with Molly Ringwald? I don't really yes. know. Or is Ali yes. Sheedy in one of them? Okay, yeah, I, I've seen parts of both of them. I don't know which is which. Um, that's kind of weird. That Andrew Dice was he was he billed as Andrew Dice Clay or Andrew Silver? Do you know? I think it was Andrew Clay. Okay, yeah, because I think he was actually like an actor for a while. I, was, I've, yeah. I've never was, seen him. Yeah. I mean, I know he was in Ford Fairlane, which I didn't see. Um, yeah, but he was an actor either. before that too. Um, when he kind of first started doing stand up, even before he got the like dice persona, he really wanted to pursue acting, and he he booked a few different small parts in things. And I think a lot of the time, he he billed himself as Andrew Clay for the acting, and then Andrew Dice Clay for the stand up comedy. And then eventually, and then when he became really popular, he just said, screw it, and um, and was Andrew Dice Clay for both. Uh, by the time Ford Fairlane came around, because his, his uh, stand-up career had really taken off at that point. I'm surprised he was in Back to School, because I think Roddy, I mean, I think that's why Sam Kinison's in it, because Rodney Dangerfield, you know, obviously was a fan of stand-ups. Yep, yeah. Yeah, Rodney Dangerfield and Andrew Dice Clay were, were good friends, and so was uh, Sam Kinison and, and Rodney Dangerfield. For sure, because Andrew Dice Clay performed at Dangerfield's Comedy Club all the time. Yeah, speaking of Norm Macdonald, there's a, <laughs> if you have a chance to look up the uh, his story about writing Dangerfield. Oh yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, if you look at my uh, my YouTube history of videos I've watched, you probably think I stalk Norm Macdonald. I've probably <laughs> seen every clip I can of him. I just I can't get enough. Oh, I, I watch I watch a ton of them too. Like his appearances on. Um, on Conan, uh, his, you know, and obviously the episodes of Norm MacDonald Live, uh, different stand-up things, uh, you know, it's, but, and like David Letterman, too, his appearances on Letterman. Letterman. But his appearances on Conan are are hilarious. Yeah, they're, they're just amazing. Like, it, it's, he's, he's obviously a hilarious comedian, but I think if, he might be the best talk show host guest of all time. I mean, I, I, I think, I, I mean, Roddy Dangerfield, again, is a very good one as well. 
Yeah, and Rodney, like when, because I've seen, I've seen uh, a lot of Rodney Dangerfield's like Johnny Carson appearances and stuff, um, and he's good, he's funny, but that that was a time period where he's basically doing his act. He's basically oh, doing, oh yeah, he, he's for sure doing his act because Johnny Carson would be like, so what's this? You went to the doctor the other day? Yeah. So how's your health? And and then uh, and then Rodney goes, it's not time for health yet. <laughs> but uh it's it's a you know it's a different thing norm mcdonald is so good at telling a story in a humorous way i love how i mean he does the same thing where it's obviously like he's setting up a joke but he just makes it like he's clearly just turning the whole idea of it on its head but like oh i talked to my cab driver on the way in yeah <laughs> yeah the and mom, he told me a joke mom. you want to hear it it's like what and he goes, and and uh, Conan says, well, if he came up with the joke, why don't uh, we have him here? And Norm's response is, well, wait till you hear me tell it. <laughs> Which is just brilliant. Yeah, there, it's just, wow. Like, I mean, you've even heard him say the exact same joke told somewhat differently. Like, mm-hmm. the Dirty Johnny, Donny, uh, Dirty Johnny joke he told on Conan, which is obviously somewhat more clean than it was on the Howard Stern show. And yep. it's just yep. hilarious both times. I mean, that he's oh, yeah. a gem. Uh, yeah, I I love uh, Norm is is the best, uh, and I agree. I think he's the best talk show host. I think anyone who's starting a talk show, that's got to be the first call that you, that you want to make if you want to start out right because it, he's he's brilliant. And like I said, he I I heard him explain one time that he has the punchline to a joke, but he doesn't know the setup basically. So. Oh, yeah, so he'll he'll know where he's going, but he kind of meanders his way to get there. I think oh, oh, slightly. I think the best, the maybe the hardest I've ever laughed, and it's hard to pick one with Norm, but maybe the hardest I ever laughed was when he hosted the ESPYS, and it was shortly after O.J. Simpson lost the civil suit. Uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, the Goldmans for uh, his murder of Nicole and... Uh, Alleged murder. <laughs> right. Um, and Norm's on the stage and he calls out Charles Woodson from Michigan, who had just won the Heisman Trophy. And he says, Charles Woodson, um, the first defensive player ever to win the Heisman Trophy. That's great. And everyone cheers. And he says, they can never take that away from you. Unless you murder your wife and a waiter. <laughs> and it's just, it was so perfect. And the audience reaction, that's part of what is great about Norm McDonald's. The audience reaction, you can see like Ken Griffey Jr. covering his face. But it's, <laughs> it's perfect because it's, you know, we all know what happened. We all know how he got away with it. And it's just, it's, oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, that's just one of so many hilarity uh, moments from uh, Norm. Like, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've seen his classic uh, monologue when he came back to host uh, SNL. Yeah. The thing about that that I heard later, which is kind of bizarre, but not too shocking to me, is he actually contemplated just leaving and not coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's Just, that, just that walking off stage and not returning for the entire show. That makes sense to me. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Uh, he talks about how he got fired, and and for anyone that hasn't seen it, he talks about how he got fired like a a year prior, 
and they brought him back to host and he says I don't understand what I did in this year to get so damn funny to be able to host the show because a year ago I got fired because I wasn't funny enough and he said but then it came to me that I haven't gotten funnier the show has just gotten much worse uh, you'll see later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's and it's the perfect norm monologue. I can't I can't imagine him doing it any other way than that. Yeah, it's just like he's just brutally honest and only seeks to amuse himself, which is just the perfect combo. Yeah, I I, I love you know another great thing before we we move on. <laughs> this is becoming you're, the, you're the norm McDonald tribute. <laughs> But uh, the the other thing that I really love is um, when he's with Letterman because I like David Letterman a lot. Um, he was much better when I was younger and he was younger. But, uh, you know, he softened a lot over the years or just kind of, I think, in my opinion, he probably stayed a little longer than he should have. But um, I, I loved David Letterman when I was growing up, uh, especially a lot more than, than Jay Leno. And um, I love seeing Norm with him because you can see how much Norm loves Letterman and how much Letterman loves Norm. And those are two people that you rarely see any kind of genuine emotion from. They're they're like they're both kind of closed off, you know, like stoic guy type guys that don't like to cry or show emotion and when they start talking about each other to each other and how much they appreciate each other, you can really see the emotion between the two of them. And it's it's a fun little kind of inside look at both of them, a side that they don't show with any other person. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely, I think, Norma's the more, you know, emotional one towards him. Like his last uh, stand-up on uh, Letter, I, I've watched that so many times. Oh, and it's a brilliant... And the the... The tribute, the you know what he says at the end, like how he loves uh, Letterman and everything, is great, and you yeah. know very emotional. But that's the stand-up, you know, not to overshadow the stand-up before it, is hilarious. Oh yeah, for sure. And he even tells uh, his favorite Dave Letterman joke at the end of it. Yep. Yeah, about the yeah. Uh, um, following the the garbage. Garbage. Truck. Yeah. <laughs> That's like he the way he told that you could almost hear you could definitely hear David Letterman telling that joke because it's perfectly you know mm-hmm. phrasing and everything and even yep. cadence. And again, not to make this a Norm McDonald podcast, though I'd be totally down for such a thing, right? Um, you notice it, he definitely has like a different like mentality when he goes on different talk shows. Like mm-hmm. and David Letterman, he always has like you know respect. He's wearing a nice suit. He's you know he's on a, the top of his game. When he's on Conan, he see, it seems like he almost treats Conan more as like a peer. Yep. Like, he'll talk down to him, yep. and he'll just, like, he'll just go off in these, like, long-winded jokes that have, like, the dumbest punchline that are just, it's, like, the journey is the entire experience on that. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, you know, his continuous, like, <laughs> ribbing of uh, Andy Richter. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Oh, Andy Richter, the Swedish German. <laughs> now, one of my favorite, to, to real quick, I mean, we could probably go back and forth with Norm stories all night, but... Oh, um, yeah. Real quick, uh, one of my favorite, and this kind of speaks to what you were saying about how he he tailors his act or tailors what he does depending on where he's at. Um, I I like watching him on the View 
uh, is, or at least was way back when, was hilarious. And the one time he was on there, one of my favorite things was he's talking about um, the Twilight Zone, and uh, Barbara Walters is trying to hurry things up, trying to hurry things up because she wants to keep a schedule for what they're doing on the show, which is basically impossible with Norm when he wants to make it impossible. And um, she, uh, you know, he's telling this story about how he liked the Twilight Zone when he was a kid and his dad, you know, didn't approve of, of those kind of things. And he was watching some episode and he said, my dad walked in and said, oh, I bet this one's just some kind of goddamn ghost. <laughs> yep, the, yeah. the best part of it is the silence afterwards. And then Barbara Walters going, oh, well, that was worth it. <laughs> yeah, that that's just great. And like, is his is it? He's almost even better when he's in an antagonistic type role, like the mm-hmm. White House uh, Correspondence Center. Yep, yeah, I've watched that one too. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, we should I, probably I, I, I we should probably move on because I I, I won't stop talking about Norman Darrell if uh, we don't do that. All right. So uh, our next segment, uh, one of our regular segments, guess the plot. Uh, I'm playing today, so. Mike, you're going to give me a movie that I haven't seen before. Um, so go ahead and uh, shoot. What movie are we doing? See, uh, I don't know that you've seen any part of this movie or even a preview, but um, this this is a movie that I really enjoy, but it's not necessarily a great movie. Is a uh, 1993's John Woo debut in America, Hard Target, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay, I have not seen the preview, or the, I've not seen a trailer to this movie. I haven't seen this movie at all. Do you know um, the premise uh, of it at all? Not, no, not at all. So I'm going to be kind of shooting in the dark here. But okay. all right, do you want me to give you it, or do you just want to go ahead and go? No, I'll go ahead and try to try to guess it. So it's 1993, and it's Jean-Claude Van Damme, so I'm guessing there's a lot of kicking in it. Um, so oh, let's, there is. So let's this see. is Van Damme at the height of his power, by the way. The best movie he was ever in, which isn't saying much. That the 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 hair, the mullet flowing strongly, uh, the oh, it was actually powerful. quite greasy in this one, so it wasn't flowing much at all. Okay, so let's see. Hard Target, based on the title, I am going to say. Let's see. Either Van Damme could be the hard target, or he could be going after a hard target. So I'm going to guess that Van Damme's the hard target. Um, Now let's see. Usually these movies, uh, these kind of movies, involve some sort of love interest who's in some kind of trouble. So I'm guessing that he meets a girl that's in some sort of trouble. Either she's in, in danger or like her son's in danger or some family member's in danger. And he's the only one that can help her. Um, I'm going to guess, given the year, that the villains are some sort of Eastern European, uh, like, you know, Russian-y type or Middle Eastern type uh, bad guys who have come... You want me to tell you you who plays the villains? I might inform you a bit. Yeah, sure. Okay. One guy, I cannot remember his name, and it's really a failure on my part. Um, he was in The Mummy as The Mummy. Okay. Okay. And he was also in, um, he was in 
one of the seasons of 24. This guy's a great villain. I uh, I don't know his name. I, I'll look it up. And the other villain is probably one of my favorite actors of all time, Lance Hendrickson. Okay, Lance Hendrickson, yeah, for sure. Uh, the Highlander. And um... No, no, not the Highlander. He was uh, he was Bishop in uh, Aliens. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Who was the Highlander? Christopher Lambert. Yeah, Christopher Lambert, that's right. Um, yeah, Lance Hendrickson, okay, Bishop. Yeah, okay, so... Sorry, Arnold Vosloo, that's the guy. Yeah, I don't know if I ever knew his name. I know he was Marwan on 24. Um, yeah, I didn't know his name either until I just looked it up. But, uh, okay, so he's definitely, he definitely could be Middle Eastern. Lance Hendrickson, I maybe he could pull off Middle Eastern. <laughs> um, but anyway, so they are in America trying to, I guess they have to be trying to kill him um, for some reason. So he's probably, uh, let's see, Van Damme probably plays some sort of detective or spy. Uh, they're trying to kill him and he's got the love interest with him who he's trying to help or they're trying to kill her maybe uh, and he's protecting her and they're looking for her family member um whoever that is maybe they maybe the villains have him have them captured and uh yeah he uh he wins the day with a lot of kicking and uh there I'm sure there's a lot of explosions and uh action am i close I mean, all those elements are there, but it's not quite what it is. Okay. Um, okay. All right. This this is uh, a movie in a weird genre that I happen to love a lot. <laughs> this movie is the uh, the hunting humans genre. Oh, okay. Oh, so so he's the hard target because they have like captured him and are hunting him. Um, what the premise of the movie is, and you are correct, there is a love interest. It's not Yasmin Bleeth, but if you look her, you might think it was. Okay. Her name, I can't remember her name. She was in Witchblade, which I've only seen the preview for. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, so this is, you can tell it's a good uh, Van Damme movie because they're still trying to explain his accent. <laughs> I feel that, uh, like, action movies, generally, if there's, like, a person from a different country, when they stop trying to explain their accent, it's like, okay, it's not good anymore. Right. I mean, there's some exceptions, like in Predator, Arnold still has like the Austrian accent. No reason why, but whatever. Um, so it takes place in uh, Louisiana, and uh, Van Damme, who's French, French, um, you know, has that Louisiana accent, which makes no sense. Um, at the beginning of the movie, I, uh, basically Lance Henriksen and his cronies are uh, they're offering homeless men like ten thousand dollars to make it from point A to point B, and they're charging these uh, men to hunt them. Okay. <laughs> and so the star, again, I don't remember her name. Um, her dad was a homeless guy, and uh, he gets killed. And so, and this doesn't make any sense at all, because Van Damme is like a, like a, he goes out on ships. I don't know what that means. He's like a laborer or something. Mm-hmm. He's also like a master martial artist. Okay. They don't explain why at any point in the movie. There's no rational reason for this. And yeah, there's like his patented slow motion, like where he kicks one guy and they show it from like three different angles. Yep. So, uh, so they, um, you know, they, they, they uh, kill her, uh, her father. Spoiler, and uh, then Van Damme, uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't understand this part either. I think he either goes undercover as like a homeless guy and like gets a job, or I don't think that's really it. I think he just starts hunting them down. 
But then, so, like, they have, like, a, you know, all these men are, like, Honey Van Dam and uh, Lance Henderson is, like, you know, the leader of the crew. Um, he's, like, basically charging people to do these hunts and stuff. At one point, uh, Van Dam punches a, a rattlesnake in the face. Oh, my God. But then he bites its tail off, like, the rattle part, which I don't know why, but that's what happens. And he sets it up as a trap to bite somebody. Wow. Uh, wow. Wilford Brimley's in the movie. He's he's some kind of friend of Van Dam's. I'm not quite sure. He rides a horse, though, and he has a bow and arrow. Oh, my God. That's got to be worth it just to see Wilford Brimley on a horse. See, I'd really like you to watch this movie because I could talk. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. And, like, I read stuff about it recently where it's, like, they actually wanted to focus more on Lance Henriksen and the uh, uh, the Vaslu guy. Okay. But, I mean, Van Damme's okay. like, no, I'm the star of this movie. I'm Van Damme. And what's interesting is um, John, it was John Woo's first like American movie, and uh, I guess they had Sam Raimi on set the whole time just in case he had to take over. Wow! And then, and of course, since Sam Raimi is involved, Ted Raimi's in a scene. I was trying to pull up the clip on YouTube, which, as we said earlier, isn't really working. It is like absolutely the worst line reading I've ever heard. Like, it, and this scene makes no sense. Like, the homeless guy is like down an alley, and Ted Raimi just shows up. He's like, "I ain't got no change, man." Wow. Like and then like they just shoot this guy in like plain sight, like fifty feet away from like a you know a ton of people on Bourbon Street. But yeah, I mean you had all the elements there, but it's just like a really weird like during that time they had that movie, uh, I think Surviving the Game with Ice T, where he was also like a homeless guy who was being hunted. Yep, I do remember I that remember. movie. I didn't I didn't see that movie, but I have seen the preview to that movie. Yeah, I, I saw it. I don't remember a thing about the movie. It was just really bad. Um, Shockingly. Yeah. Yancey Butler is the that's, that's uh, it. Yep, the that's it. Witchblade, yeah. Yeah, so that was her she does and look um. Like he has been a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a movie that I I really enjoy watching. I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but Lance Henriksen is just really good in the movie because he's good in everything I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll review that next. Maybe I'll watch it and we'll review that movie next week. Yeah, that's, that's a subject I can go. And I guess they did a Hard Target Part 2 recently, which uh, it was like last year or something, and I have no idea why they would make it. See, the problem with these reimagining, I don't understand why, like with 22 Jump Street, they could just made that movie and not had any relation whatsoever to the original series, and it would be a great movie still. I mean, there's, yep. there's just no reason. Well, it's, I was saying that about uh, they, I haven't seen it, but they rebooted Magnum P.I., and I saw commercials for it, and I said, "Why? There, there's nothing. the The guy doesn't look like Tom Selleck for one thing. Which I mean, he doesn't need to. But the the reason that Magnum PI was popular in the '80s was because of Tom Selleck. Because Tom Selleck was charming, and women thought Tom Selleck was handsome, and guys wanted to be like Tom Selleck. There's nothing about that." movie or i mean that tv show that's unique it was it's a, like it was a private eye in hawaii exactly I mean, do you it really was, need it to be was, magnum pi there's more than one private eye in hawaii i would assume yeah it was just a detective show the only thing that set it apart from any other detective show is that tom Selleck was a really charismatic and handsome guy in the 80s so why reboot it like if you want to make a show like that it doesn't have to be magnum pi just come up with your own unique idea. You know, it's not that hard to say, okay, he's a detective in Iceland or whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like whatever you want to do, you don't have to, you don't have to work hard to make it, 
different. It doesn't have to be, but they want to, they want to, um, try to capitalize on people saying, Oh, remember Magnum PI? I remember I Magnum PI. Yeah. It's like the only thing that was like kind of a twist in the genre was really a ripoff of Charlie's angels where it's like some mysterious benefactor. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever really seen Magnum PI, but isn't like the, it's, Again, spoiler is the butler guy Higgins is like the the voice the whole time, right? Yeah, which is really kind of weird. Like it's like this, this mysterious benefactor. He's like, I'm going to pretend to be a butler all the time. Yeah, I know it's weird, but uh, Donald uh, P. Belisario created that show, and he created one of my favorite shows of all time, Quantum Leap. Um, but I think he does like NCIS now. Uh, so I don't. Okay. So I don't know if he. Uh, I think he was in the Navy. Because all three of those shows have a Navy connection. Uh, Magnum used to be in the Navy. NCIS is obviously the Navy. And uh, Al from Quantum Leap was a Naval Admiral. Uh, So I think he used to be in the Navy. And that's kind of, that's something that that ties all of his shows together. But I don't know, maybe. So I know he's, I think it's on CBS. And NCIS is on CBS. And maybe he wants more money. <laughs> he wants to get into a corner with Gus Van Zandt and count, his, and money. count his money. And uh, <laughs> he, he said, oh, well, you know, someone had some generic PI show and he said, hey, let's make it Magnum PI. And it'll, it'll make it'll get better ratings. Right. Because, you know, all the people who are uh, watching Magnum PI during the height of its fame are uh, still, you know, watching uh, the same show, I guess. Right. They're all in diapers, diapers, diapers now. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. I mean, I didn't see the original. I mean... I watched a little bit of it, but I mean, I was, you know, we're roughly the same age. I think you're about a year younger than I am, but I watched a little bit of it, but I was probably like six when that, when that show was really popular. I don't, I I barely remember any of it. Yeah. I I remember like nothing. I just remember he had a tiger's head, but oh, he's got a tiger's head. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was the thing around here. That was the thing that, that attracted I mean, like I said, he was charismatic and, and everything, but that was the one thing everyone was kind of like, hey, that he was pretty much the first one, I think, to really popularize the Tigers cap as more than just I'm a Tigers fan, but like a cultural type thing. Because a lot of people that aren't from Detroit, because he's from Detroit, but a lot of people that aren't from Detroit wear, wear that sure now. Tom, no. Sel- Tom Selleck is or the character or both? Tom, Tom Selleck is. Tom Selleck oh, insisted okay. on wearing that hat uh, because Donald Belisario has no connection to Detroit and the character didn't either. But uh, Tom Selleck insisted that he wanted to wear that hat uh, because he liked the Tigers and he wanted to represent uh, Michigan. Sure. Okay, so now on to our main topic tonight, which is our favorite Halloween movies. In honor of Halloween, we will be talking our favorite films. Um, I have, I did a top three. Uh, I don't know how many you you are doing or you want to do, but uh, I did because Mike and I don't really uh, go over stuff very much. We, we feel unprepared is the best for the podcast, but, uh, which is why we spent wow. like 40 minutes talking about Norm McDonald. <laughs> but, oh, no, that was but, planned. <laughs> but, uh, so I have like a top three. Um, I did two that are, you know, pretty well known. And then I did more of a off the beaten path movie that I really, 
uh, like a lot that I think people should check out. But, uh, and I'm going to be kind of snobby with it too, because there's an American version and a French version, and the French version is clearly superior to the American version. Is it Martyrs? Yeah, that's right. Ah, how'd you know? Okay, so I'll start with that one. I'll start with Martyrs. Um, it is a, it's one of those movies. So it's called Martyrs. The fr- Like I said, the French version is the better version. If you can get that version, that's the version you want to see. Um, because the American version, it, it tones a lot of stuff down and it gives a pseudo happy ending uh, for the movie, which kind of betrays a lot of the stuff that the movie, the original does. But um, so I will just give you a quick plot rundown of the film. Uh, I will say probably about two minutes in, there will be spoilers for the movie Martyrs. So if you don't want to have it spoiled and you want to see it, which I suggest everyone does, then just skip ahead about two minutes. Or I mean, skip a, skip ahead about five minutes uh, from now and we'll go on to the next one. But uh, so Martyrs is a movie where at the beginning... This young girl escapes from uh, a house and she gets picked up by an orphanage. She ends up going to an orphanage. Her parents, uh, you know, are not around or anything. And she makes friends with this other little girl at the orphanage. And she tells her that she had been being held captive and tortured by this group of people. And she, like, everyone thinks she's nuts because she says she can still see them. She sees like apparitions of them. So many years later, they're 18. They get out of the orphanage, the two girls. And the girl that said she was tortured, she wants to hunt down these people that tortured her. So she takes her friend to this house with a family in it. And she goes in and she's got a shotgun and she brutally murders this entire family. And her friend is like, she's, can she thought, she believed her the whole time. Now she's thinking that she's just nuts and she can't believe what she did. The cops are coming and everything. She says that she thought by killing these people, she wouldn't see these, you know, things anymore. She still sees it. She takes the shotgun and she kills herself. So the friend doesn't know what to do, but she hears this noise. She goes over to the to a corner. There's a hidden um, like room in the floor, and there's two little girls down there that are being held captive. So her friend that just killed herself was correct. These people were part of this group that held them captive. So anyway, to kind of cut to the chase, the friend ends up getting kid- kidnapped by this group. And their whole, um, their whole purpose is that they believe that they can make martyrs out of women and young girls by torturing them. And they'll be able to see into the afterlife, into like whatever comes after this. And they firmly believe that this is the case. So they start torturing her, and in one of the like the climax of the movie, they flay off all her skin, and it's gruesome. It's one of those. It's 
it's almost like Italian horror where it's it's not heavy gore. I mean, I know that sounds v- gruesome and it is, but it's more it's more gruesome than gory because there's not a ton of blood like there would be in like a uh, a uh, Dario Argentino movie or something like that. But it's it's like skin crawling, you know, that kind of scary. And so they flay off all her skin. She and she the actress really conveys this very well. You can see she sees something. And the woman that's in charge of this whole cult comes up to her and says, you see it, don't you? And she kind of nods her head and she puts her ear next to her mouth and the girl whispers something to her and then she dies. So the leader of the cult, she go, you know, you can see she's clearly shaken. She goes into the bathroom and her little sycophant, um, like assistant is with her. And he says, she told you, right? And she says, yes. And he says, what is it? Cause she's about to give a speech to everyone telling them what comes after death. And she says to him, keep doubting. Then she takes a gun and blows her brains out. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I've read the summary on Wikipedia. I haven't seen it. Um, I don't really desire to see it since I read the entire thing. Mm-hmm. It is great, though. Um, it's very atmospheric. Uh, it's very creepy. Uh, it's not. There's not a lot of jump scares or things like that. But it's it's a it's a make your skin crawl kind of horror movie. And like I said, the French version is the, in the American version, the, the, uh, both of them live. Well, both of them live for a while longer than in the French version. Uh, the other one gets recaptured and then she eventually dies. She kind of takes the place of the friend in the French version. And the friend lives at the end of the movie and everything. It's, it's, it undercuts a lot of, I mean, it's, it's fairly the same, but it undercuts, some of the the emotional stuff, but it's it's also very interesting in, in its ideas too. So uh, everyone that didn't want to be spoiled, that's back now. If you, uh, I, I highly recommend that you take uh, that you rent uh, Martyrs. It is fantastic. So Mike, what uh, what what's one of your movies? Um, I'm I'm a I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's called a Dead Calm. Yes, yeah, I have seen it. Uh, it's an early early Nicole Kidman movie. Um, mm-hmm. Sam Ray or not Sam Raimi. Sam Neill is in it and Billy Zane. Yep. I'm, yeah, I'm a big Billy fan Zane of like, I'm not a big fan of like uh, supernatural type movies, which, you know, for the horror genre, that's like 99% of them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Dead Calm is like basically like Billy Zane playing like a psychopath. And it's like a very realistic, for the most part, there's some parts that are just kind of ridiculous. You just like it, like uh, the premise is um, uh, Nicole Kidman and Sam uh, Neal are on a boat, and uh, they get like a distress signal. And there's another ship that's taking on water, and they go there, and uh, Billy Zane's like the only person on the boat, and everybody else is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be remembering this wrong. It's been a while. They might be. No, you know, you might not see anybody right. else. But then, so then they get this videotape, and then they they watch it when Billy Zane's not, you know, with them, and they discover that he killed everybody on the ship. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, like Billy Zane, I think he throws Samuel off the boat, or he locks him up, or something like that. And it's just like it's just like a complete psychological like horror movie. It's, I mean, all the people in it are really. Samuel is a really good actor. I've mostly seen him from Jurassic Park, but he was in uh, that. He was in In the Mouth of Madness, which is another. Yeah. That's that's definitely a supernatural movie. But 
there's parts in that movie that are just like really disturbing to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. In Madness. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. It's a, um, I believe it's a John Carpenter movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it's like uh, it, that one. The whole premise is there's like an author whose books are making people insane, and he has the initials SK, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's oh, and they're just. I think his last, last name, right? Name, right? Or Kane. Or Sutter, Sutter, Sutter Kane. That's, right. that's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like it's it's that's there's just like a really bizarre like parts of that movie, which it's also good. Another Sam Raimi movie, but Sam Neill. Sorry, it's kind of funny. They keep saying Sam Raimi, or I'm not really a big fan of Sam Raimi's horror movies. Right. Yeah, Dead Calm, I would definitely, you know, check that out. It's for me, it's like it you can kind of tell it was made in like the late eighties, early nineties, just by the way the film looks. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it's like a super high buzz or anything like that, but it's it's a really like, you know, a nice movie to just kind of watch if you just want to see like a really, you know, good, you know, story, a lot of perf- good performances. Yeah. And just like yeah. Billy Billy Zayden and, and I mean, I know he's mostly known for the movie Titanic probably. Yep. But he's yep. I mean, he he's he's a great actor in everything I've seen him in. Yeah, I like Billy Zane a lot too, and um, I like a lot of that. You know, Cole Kidman does some movies that, as far as the subject matter goes, I don't really like. Um, but her acting is usually very good in uh, in almost everything that she does. Um, that, that might be the only movie I've ever seen with her in it. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. I can't think of any other movies I've seen with. Oh no no! I saw um, what was Eyes Wide Shut. She was really good in that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's uh, in Malice. She was good in that too. I haven't um, seen that, but I again read the summary. It sounded pretty good. But uh, yeah, Dead Calm is uh, very good. I agree. It's a, uh, um, I you know I, I would say I mean it's a I guess it's a thriller. Um, but, yeah, I'd say it's a thriller. Not it's not really a horror movie. I guess I'm really more of a fan of thrillers than horror movies. I think there's a fine line between what's a thriller and what's a horror movie. Um, cause I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think you necessarily need a supernatural element to have a horror movie. Like I would call get out a horror movie. Some people, some people, I, some I, people I, I guess would call, people, call it suspense or, um, or a thriller, but, uh, you know, I, I would no, say that's a, like a, there's like a supernatural element to that though. Isn't there? Eh. <laughs> Like, isn't it like a really, like, messed up version of being John Malkovich in a way? I guess kind of. I mean, the it's, it's, I don't know, I mean, maybe, I don't maybe know. it'd be more fantasy than supernatural because the premise is that they are implanting their brains into black people's bodies. So yeah, it's, that's what I thought. So it's like they like physically implanted. I thought yeah. I, I thought it, like, yeah. they took them over or something. I, I like I said, I haven't seen it. Um, no, the dad. Okay, well, no, just the because dad, the dad is a, a dad. brain surgeon, so he. Okay, yeah, I didn't know there was that. Okay, that I mean, I say that makes more sense, but let's be honest here, that doesn't make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they have a brain transplant. Like how? I I can't even begin. I, it's one of those things where. And I love the movie. It's a fan. T- like uh, Get Out is is Get Out's one of my probably top three favorite movies. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard um, it's very good. But uh, but that's one of those things that you have to you just have to suspend disbelief on because how in what way would it be possible to connect every nerve ending that you need to connect in order to transplant a brain into another body? I mean, it's you know, and, and have it be a secret. Like, oh, I can transplant brains, but keep it on the down low. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, seriously. Like, uh, how much 
I don't know. How much money could you make uh, doing something like that? You know, where you, you take know, where someone you... that's going to die and, well, I guess, I guess, I guess you'd have to kill someone to do it though, so. Not necessarily. Someone could be brain dead and their body so alive. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it could be like a, uh, it could be like a, um. Organ donor type thing. Yeah, like a, a thing just for the rich, basically. To where it's like, if you, because that's how they would do it on based on on who could pay for it, not necessarily based on need, because there's a limited supply of brain dead people whose um, family would be like, yeah, it's okay, you can take their body. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. That, that would be an interesting movie too. But uh, no, um, Get Out is, uh, is great. And it's one of those where uh, Jordan Peele, it's his first movie, allegedly. Um, I still firmly believe that he's been making movies in his basement for like 10 years or something like that, like Hollywood quality movies and not telling anyone. Cause I have no idea how anyone on their first time out could make such a, I mean, it's almost perfect in the way visually and everything, the way it's structured, you know, there's, um, I'll give you a real quick example. There's a part of the movie where we don't know at the time, but there are two, um, there are two black servants or, or workers or whatever at the house. One's a cook and one's a gardener. And it's his parents who took bo- the bodies of these two people. And he's walking with Chris, the main character, and he's talking to him and everything. And, and he says that he's talking about his mother and he says, yo, she loved her kitchen, so we always like to keep a piece of her here. And the camera's following them the whole time. And right when he says that, it comes around the corner, and you see the maid standing there in the kitchen. And it's just such brilliant foreshadowing. He does a lot of stuff like that, real subtle touches throughout the whole movie that are just amazing. Now, the third act, the very end of the third act becomes a little that's the one part of the movie it's the weakest part of the movie because it becomes a very slashery type um horror movie thing it really kind of devolves for maybe like the last 15 minutes of the film or so but i i i firmly feel that that was the studio saying look you have to do this this way um or people aren't going to get it <laughs> but uh but you know i i that's what i think that that's about but that's clearly the weakest part of the movie. But it's the things he do, does is brilliant. Yeah, did, did he direct the Key and Peele show or any of those episodes? You, you know, know or? I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure if he did or not. I guess I. I mean, I'm sure it's not the same quality, up. obviously. But well, it's 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 different. Directing TV is a lot different than directing um, a movie. But yeah, I mean, it would. He, I, I, I assume he probably did. I assume he probably directed a few episodes, which would be decent experience. But yeah, the the subtlety and everything that he puts in it, it's it's beautiful. Um, so the last movie that I want to talk about is another one with Sam Neill, and I think you've seen this movie too. I think we've, I think this is another movie we've seen together, Event Horizon. Okay, yeah, I, I've seen that. I probably have seen it with you. That is another movie where it's just kind of creepy. Like, there's, there's, 
I I would call it more of a sci-fi element to it than a supernatural element. Um, because the premise is they go and find this ship that Sam Neill helped design that got had gotten lost and now it suddenly reappeared and they're going to salvage it. It takes place in the far future. And Sam Neill goes with the crew to help recover it as the expert on the ship. And what happens is it turned out that he created this this some kind of star drive or whatever you want to call it that creates a black hole or a wormhole that allows the ship to travel uh, interdimensionally and was supposed to allow it to travel large distances in a very short period of time. What ended up happening is they go into a different dimension and the way they kind of explain it is like almost in biblical terms, how if our dimension is based on good, you know, that's like the fundamental even though bad things happen, the fundamental orientation of our dimension is good, based on good. This one's based on evil, and it's just some kind of, like, freaking nightmare dimension. So, and things come through there, and that's kind of the, uh, you know, it's it's supernatural-y, but more sci-fi-ish, I would say, um, if that's a word, which it's not. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's... Even though it's obviously far-fetched, it's grounded somewhat in science, I guess. It's, I, I would say it's more of a sci-fi movie. Yeah, the the like one of the creepiest parts of the movie to me is they show the last log of the crew. And the, it's chaos, and everyone's running around, lights are going on and off. And this guy's repeating something in Latin, you know. And for some reason, they have a guy that knows Latin on the on their their crew now, and he translates it as "save save your or uh, save save us." So, you know, they go through the movie and everything, and bad stuff starts to happen, and it's getting towards the climax of the film, and the guy that translated it's talking with one of the other crew members, and he says, "I've been listening to the recording." a few times and I was wrong in my translation. He wasn't saying save us. He was saying save yourselves. And when he says that and the way he delivers it, it's just like I mean, I was like, oh my God, it just like gave me the the chills. So that, you know, that's kind of why I put that up there um as one of the the scary movies. I mean there's there's a lot. I could go on because I, I'm more of a fan of horror movies than you are, I think. Oh but, yeah, I would say uh, for sure. But, I know when but, we were younger, you would watch. That's basically all you would watch. It would seem like sometimes. Oh yeah, but um, and and all kind like me and uh, my friend Colin, our friend Colin, uh, you know, we would we would rent like all kinds, uh, foreign, domestic, you know, like silly, uh, terrifying stuff like like we would rent all kinds of horror movies and watch them. I don't watch them nearly as much now as I'm older. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot that, that I like. But those would be the ones that I, I think I would recommend, at least for this holiday season. Some that, that you might not have seen. Do you have any other, have any uh, other uh, horror movie, that, horror you movie that you liked? Yeah, as, as, um, as much as I would, uh, was ripping on uh, remakes earlier, this one is technically a, a remake. I'm sure you could probably guess what I'm about to say. I think so. I think so. What would you think it would be? The thing? the thing. Yep, the thing, John. I've never seen the original. Vincent Price may be in it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe that's correct. But the uh, the John Carpenter's 1984, 85 ish probably movie, The Thing. That's just an amazing movie. Absolutely. 
But I mean, yeah, yeah go ahead. So again, that's really uh, that's not really a horror movie. It's a sci. The entire premise is sci-fi. Again, it's far-fetched. It's an alien life form that comes to Earth. Mm-hmm. And kind of like the Horizon, I'm I'm not a Norwegian speaker, shockingly. <laughs> but at the very beginning, I guess the guy is yelling, you know, "Watch out! This thing is going to kill us all," or something when he's chasing the dog. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, that. again, Wilford Brimley. We're we're on a Wilford Brimley kick. Um, he's in the movie. Um. Uh, well, I just completely blank. Kurt Russell, he's amazing in the movie. Um, just every everyone in the movie is good. Uh, one of the more like stressful things I've ever seen in the movie is when they're testing the blood with a hot wire. Yep. They completely ripped off from the movie uh, The Faculty. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that uh, scene in The Faculty. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. incredibly tense in uh, the. I thing. Mean, and the effects are, you know, practical effects. They're amazing. I mean, I, I can't say enough about the thing. It's, I mean, I, I, I'm sure most people have seen it. If you haven't, I'd definitely give that a look. They did a remake of that, and uh, I I don't, that's like psycho. I don't understand why you'd remake it. Maybe yeah. the filmmaker didn't want anybody else, maybe the filmmaker didn't want anybody else to remake it. <laughs> yeah, that one. And I, you know, I heard, I have not seen the remake. I've heard it's really bad. Um but I heard that originally they wanted to go practical for a lot of the effects. And for some reason, the um, the studio didn't want to do it or the studio didn't think that it looked good enough. And they went very CGI heavy and it's very noticeable and very bad. I've seen some clips um, and it is very noticeable and very bad. Uh, and uh, it's I just have no no desire to see it. There's literally no point to see it. I mean, you can't you can't improve upon the original. I don't think. I mean, even though uh, you'll find this is a theme with me, I don't like footage that looks old. It's clearly made in the '80s by the way the film looks and stuff. I mean, so it's just such a wonderful movie. Yep, I agree. Yeah, the original was called. Well, I mean, it's based on a, a book or a short story. I think. I think isn't it the thing from outer space? The thing from so, another world. There you go. Yeah, that's the original RKO 19, um, God, I think it was 1951 um, thing. And it was uh, uh, Kenneth Toby was in it, um, William Self, uh, and Robert uh, Cornwaith. um, Uh, Not to be confused with uh, the thing from a different world, which was Whitley. I just made a Sinbad joke today, earlier too. Man, he was never really? more famous than when he was on that show. What was? Wasn't he insane elsewhere? No, I I don't think so. Was he? I've never seen insane elsewhere, but I thought he was. Maybe it's Howie Mandel. Howie of course, Mandel was clear. Yeah, a common, common mistake. <laughs> they do look a lot alike. He was in necessary roughness. Yeah, I like that. I actually like that movie. That's one of those. That's one of those guilty pleasure. I know it's not really that good, but I like that movie. You're clearly a Scott Bakula aficionado. Yeah, yeah. Denzel Washington was in Saint Elsewhere. Yeah, that's. I, I don't know why I thought Sinbad was in like another '80s like uh, comedy for some reason. I have no idea why. I know he was in. Oh, oh yeah, that's one show I actually do watch. Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay, yeah. Sinbad was an okay, episode yeah. of that. He was pretty pretty good in that, actually. But the thing, I agree with you. Oh, I mean, absolutely fantastic film. And just, 
it's so stark. It's so nihilistic. It's and the practical effects that I don't know if there's if there's been better practical effects uh in a movie. The creature effects are fantastic. I mean, obviously there are some that look better than others. There are some oh, that sure. stand up a little bit more than others do, but um it, it it's just it's it's one of those movies that you you experience when you watch it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, you definitely feel like you're completely immersed in it. You feel isolated. Like there's like it, I would, there's clearly some music in it, and I pre, I would not be shocked if it was John Carpenter composed because it sounds like his kind of music. Right, right. But I mean, it just it's very silent in a lot of parts. It's just you feel isolated while you know, it takes place in Antarctica for anyone who hasn't seen it. Now I think Carpenter, Carpenter. did some of the music on it, I believe. But I know that um, a Neo uh, Morricone did um, a lot of the score. Okay, that would make sense too. The movie, yeah. And he did, um, you know, he's done a lot of, uh, a lot of films as a composer. I read this somewhere kind of recently. Apparently, um, in Antarctica, when they uh, when they lock in for the winter, mm-hmm. they play the. Oh wow! I think they play the original as well, and then you know the John Carpenter movie. John Carpenter, like at, during a certain stretch, he was just—I I can't imagine—you know how creative he was and just the amazing movies he was turning out. Oh yeah, and uh, you know he he went uh, he did a lot of lower budgets not not exactly independent movies because he still kind of worked for studios but not hugely budgeted or hugely studio involved films for a, a lot a lot of his career and i think i'm trying to remember what movie it was where he was just like you know fuck this and and said that he was just gonna start doing more independent stuff again because he kind of built up his career and then, uh, and then he um, he got a lot of studio interference on one of his films, and was just like, "I'm not, I'm not going this way ever again." Yeah, it was like a wide variety of genres too. It was Escape from New York, um, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, uh, Halloween, obviously. Um, I mean, um, Big Trouble in Little China. China. That's him too. Yep. Yep. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Kurt Russell's in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he likes Kurt Russell a lot. Kurt Russell, I mean, he's he's good in everything I've seen him in too. He's just another actor that I never like. I, I don't seek out Kurt Russell movies, but if I see a movie, I'm like, okay, this is probably good because, like your comments earlier about Keanu Reeves, he just seems to like know when a movie's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And you but know, then you got to you know, you know Keanu what, Reeves you know what, 100% you know, on that. But you know what he kind of reminds me of is, um, or what this person reminds me of, Kurt Russell is The Rock. The Rock, The Rock, I think is sort of kind of like Kurt Russell 2.0, except. Kurt Russell was better at picking good movies, or they made yeah, I, better I, movies back then. I, I believe Kurt Russell was also the last uh, words that Walt Disney wrote down before he died. Really? Yeah, like they just found like among like I think he died like at his desk or something, and like the like he just had the word Kurt Russell written down. Wow. Some people think because he was you know like a young, an actor as a young man too. Like some people think he was. Uh, you know, planning another project for him. I like to think that he uh, murdered him. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's his killer, Kurt Russell. If we can ever revive him from cryogenic sleep, 
then we can ask uh, Walt Disney, Walt Disney if Kurt Russell is a Russell. violent murderer. I like the uh, conspiracy theory that Disney released a movie Frozen so that they would people would like you know deflect from uh, the idea that Walt Disney was frozen. <laughs> I wish that was true, but I don't think he actually is cybernetically frozen. I don't know where that rumor started, but he's he's not. Uh, you know, uh, even why he's not? Kurt Russell couldn't risk it. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know where, like, how that rumor started or, or anything, because that's been around since I was young. Uh, but yeah. uh, but he's not verifiably not uh, not cryogenically frozen. He's buried. But uh, one my one of my favorite Kurt Russell stories is uh, have you you've seen the Hateful Eight, right? I actually haven't. Um, it's I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan. He's probably one of my favorite directors. Alfred Hitchcock is probably the number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems like very a long movie, <laughs> and I like all the people in it. But I'm like, yeah, I don't think I watch that long of a movie. I I like it a lot. I think it's a good movie, and Walter Goggins is very good in the movie. I like him a lot. Kurt Russell is very good in the movie. There's this won't be a spoiler if you ever want to watch it. But there's a part in the movie where he take Kurt Russell takes a guitar. And he smashes it. Now, the guitar that they were using is like was like a priceless antique guitar, and they yeah, were supposed I, to switch like it. Yeah. What'd you say? Yeah, yeah I've heard about the. Or my friend Matt told me about it. It's a Martin guitar, which are like super expensive. Yeah, and they were supposed to switch it out for a prop guitar for him to smash it, but they didn't get a chance to. I think he kind of ad libbed it too. Uh, and they didn't get a chance to swap it out. So he grabs it and smashes it. And you can see Ali Sheedy, who's in the movie, you can see her you can see her genuine reaction of, oh my god, don't do that. But she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't break character and she doesn't ruin the take, because they that the take that he did that in is the take they used in the movie. But you can see very briefly just the yes. horror in her eyes as he's about yes, he's to do about it. it. Ali Sheedy's in that? Yeah, Ali Sheedy yeah, plays. Ali Sheedy um, play. And she's very good in the movie, too. I, I hadn't seen her. I think the last movie I saw her in was not another teen movie, but that might have been Molly Ringwald. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's Molly Ringwald, I think. It's been a long yeah, time since I've seen that movie. I forgot that yeah. Chris, Chris Evans, Captain America himself, is in that movie. Oh, is he? I I think I, I probably saw that with you. I the thing that I thought, there was this uh, show on Comedy Central. It was called Beat the Geek. Do you remember yes, that show? Yes, Beat the Geeks. I remember that show. Yeah. The only thing that sticks out for that movie is the guy from Beat the Geeks is in that movie. He was like the TV expert. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He like sings a song. He's like a cook at the restaurant or something like that. Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot. I've forgotten all about that show and that movie. Yeah, that's the only memory I have of that movie. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, let's see. Oh. So, the last thing that we're going to talk about today is... is... Norm MacDonald. <laughs> Norm MacDonald and his contribution to horror movies. No, um, we're going to talk about uh, alternate endings. So, this is another semi-regular... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Feature? Yes, semi-regular feature we're looking, we're doing that uh, where we take a movie and we either change the ending to something different or we give it a sequel that it never got. 
to sort of expand on the lore or, or fix problems. And the movie that, you know, in honor of Halloween, the movie that I chose today is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, I know, Mike, you haven't seen this movie. I have not. Um, I'll kind of walk through the problems real quick. Now, the I've watched this movie recently, and I think it's one of those movies that it doesn't, it, it you know, it's a classic, quote-unquote classic, but it doesn't necessarily hold up. Uh, it's a good movie, but it really gets by on its first act, which is very effective and very creepy. And um, it kind of, the, the third act, I think, really derails the entire movie. Um, and that's the part that obviously that I would change. Um, but, you know, for people that don't know, Freddy Krueger can infiltrate kids' dreams you know, and kill them in, in their sleep. He's doing it. So Nancy has discovered that she can pull things out of the dream. So her plan is to grab onto Freddy, set an alarm, wake up, pull him out of the dream world into the real world where he can be killed. And she, Home Alone style, sets up all these different traps around the house in order to trap him. So the third act of the movie is her pulling him out of her dream and him kind of stumbling through these different traps that she set and everything. And then eventually she realizes that the only thing that gives her, him power is her belief in him. So even though they're supposed to be in the real world, um, and like he kills her mom, who's an alcoholic, but sort of like drags her down into the bed with this weird light, like she's being dragged into... Uh, the poltergeist realm or something like that. And uh, so she says, I take away all the power I ever gave you. You're nothing. She turns her back on him and he disappears into these blue glowing, like very bad eighties effect dots and disappears. And then she wakes up. Everything's back to normal. Her mom's alive again. All her friends who were killed, including her boyfriend, are alive. They pick her up for school. She gets in, and then all the doors lock. Uh, the the hood, you know, the the roof of the car comes up because it's a convertible, and it's in the orange and black Freddy stripes. And then Freddy's hand comes out of the small window of the house and drags what's obviously a blow up doll that's supposed to be her mom into the thing. And then you hear him laugh and the movie's over. And the, the only logical explanation is that the entire third act of the movie was a dream that she never actually woke up, never pulled him into the real world that she was dreaming the entire time. And I guess she's still dreaming now basically, or, or he's killing her in the dream. It totally undercuts the entire third act of the movie. And I think it was a change that they put in there um, because the one of the executives wanted them to leave room for a sequel. And so he wanted this kind of like... It, this was popularized by Carrie, what Brian De Palma did with Carrie, where they go to her grave uh, at the end of the movie. Spoilers for Carrie. And uh, spoilers for a 43-year-old movie. And her... Uh, her hand comes out of the grave and that was a big shock back then because that was one of the first times that there was a big gotcha ending like that at the end of a horror movie. And I think they wanted to sort of 
imitate that. And that's kind of why they did what they did. But none of it makes any sense. If he's not in the real world and he's in the dream world that he has complete control over, uh, why does he fall into all for traps? You know, <laughs> why, like it, it just none of it makes much sense. And it really undercuts everything that they built up to before that point. So what I would do is, um, you know, I would change it into her actually bringing him into the real world and actually, uh, you know, like fighting him that way. And, you know, the mom can die and that's fine. She's just permanently dead. That's just all there is to it. Um, you know, so, so that, uh, that's the change that I would make is that I wouldn't have the last part be a dream. It's a really a cop out kind of ending and only, only there so that they can make more movies. Yeah, that's uh, always a bad sign. So do you have uh, an alternate ending that you want to do? Yeah, but first, uh, there's a weird thing of trivia about um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Um, you know how it's like, isn't, I think it's actually uh, Johnny Depp's first movie. Yes, it is. Like the first movie I've um, He actually, uh, have you ever seen the movie The Bad News Bears, the original? Yes. Yeah, and the remake's actually pretty good, too, with Billy Bob Thornton. But you know in the original, the uh, tough kid, Kelly? Mm-hmm. He's the actor uh, Jackie Earl Haley. Yes, that's right. Like that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he uh, he uh, he actually went to an audition for Nightmare on Elm Street with his friend Johnny Depp. Oh, really? And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, he didn't get the part, but Johnny Depp did. And then when they did the remake, uh, I guess you know who's playing Freddy Krueger? Yeah, it's uh, Jackie, Jackie Earl, Earl Haley. Haley. Yeah. So he finally got his commitments. I didn't realize that that they were that they were friends. I, I knew yeah, that he too. did. I knew he played Freddy in the in the remake. He plays creepy characters a lot yeah, he was rorschach in uh the watchman movie was, which yeah, i'm a huge was, fan of the yeah. comics but the i guess they're making a series of that now that's what i heard um, too. yeah they did a stop motion comic which sounded interesting in theory but i think it's like eight hours long so uh i have uh no interest in that yeah i'm not a big fan of the watchman movie um like you i've read the comics i think a lot of people that have read the comics I think a lot of people that haven't read the comics kind of like the movie, and a lot yeah, of people that have right. read the comics don't like the movie. Yeah, I, I the comic is I I love it. It's one oh, of my it's favorite. Fantastic. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the one I have an alternating for only serves to amuse me. This is something I've thought about like way too long, and I think about way too much. And every time I think about it, it just makes me laugh so hard. Okay. Um. The uh, perennial favorite movie that they always used to play on TV. TBS and or TNT was, uh, I think you know the answer to this one. Well, well there's a couple. Well, it could be the Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption. Which, as you know, was based on a uh, Stephen King story, or was it a Super King story? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, my favorite part, and this part makes no sense because, you know, there's uh, obviously Red is narrating the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end, the very last line he says always cracks me up because he goes, it's time to do uh, something like this. I'm not going to say it right. And all the uh, Shawshank Redemption fans out there will correct me, I'm sure. <laughs> but he says it's something like uh, it's time to either get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. yeah. So I like the movie to continue a little bit longer for that. And then just to hear his voice go, I choose dying. And he just pulls out a revolver <laughs> and he shoots Andy Dufresne right in the head. Because <laughs> uh, Red was originally in jail for murder. He was like a contract hitman. That's right. So my theory is that the uh, sisters uh, paid Red off to uh, go ahead and kill Andy. And then since he's in Mexico and it's like the 60s, I mean, it wouldn't be too hard to forge his ID. Uh-huh. So Red just uh, continues the rest of the movie sailing happily, 
getting <laughs> murder for because he, he's never redeemed even in like at his parole hearing he never is he's like yeah I, I don't feel bad at all yeah that's true so but, just continue with that oh my god that'd be great and you, and that could spin into a sequel of you know like red is a contract killer in mexico you could call it paint the town red <laughs> oh my god that's great I would pay to see... I like the Shawshank Redemption. I am not one of those people that say it's the greatest movie ever. I know it's, right, been, know it's, been, it's been up on the AFI lists of... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good movie, but like a lot of movies, like even like The Thing from earlier, I can see a movie maybe once or twice, and I don't really need to see it again, because mm-hmm. the more I see it, it doesn't really improve it, you know? Yeah, I agree. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a yeah, good, it's mean, a good it's movie. Good. I, I like it a lot, you know? Don't send letters, send letters Shawshank Redemption Shawshank fans. Redemption. But, yeah, I'd uh, say for sure it's the best Stephen King adaptation, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. But uh, oh, wait, hold on, I forgot the Lingoliers. Oh God, with uh, with Balky. Yeah, Bronson Pinscher. Yeah, that's uh, that is uh, that that and that's and, like and I think Molly Ringwald's in that too. Yeah, that's mid '90s television CGI. Which might be the might worst CGI that's ever existed. And some of the 2000s era sci-fi CGI is pretty bad too. Oh my god! You know, I, I don't think I think Molly Ringwald was actually in the stand, which is what I was thinking. Yeah, that's right. Molly movie. Ringwald yeah. was in the stand. There was the blonde woman. She's been in. She's one of those. Oh yeah, I know her actresses where she's been in a bunch of stuff, but I don't know her name. But she was. You know, in I wouldn't mind a decent remake of The Stand, like if it was like an HBO like eight part series. I think they're doing it. I think they're, but they're doing it uh, as a theatrical movie. I think they're doing it in in two parts. I believe. I believe. Oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah, I don't think it's enough unless they unless unless they're doing two three hour movies. I suppose I that's possible. Like, I think you need like ten hour long episodes, you know, to even scratch the surface. Yeah, I, I think, and and I agree with you. And I think as a limited series, as a, a one-season series, would make the most sense. And I think they could really delve in, even more than the book does, uh, the little stories of different people who don't make it or whatever, at, you know, showing the virus spread around the world. And they, they could make things very interesting uh, if they uh, did it like that. But yeah, they're, yeah they're... I think... Um, <sighs> I'm going to sound racist here, but uh, the, the director, the director I think they have on board has a Japanese name that I don't know if I can pronounce Fuki, Fukiura or something like that. He's done uh, some other movies, but he is going to direct it. And I think he's writing the screenplay, too. Wait, is it Carrie? Uh, there's a guy named Carrie with like an F, like yeah, last name. I believe that's who it is. Yeah. Oh, he he's actually a pretty good director. He did the uh, a couple episodes of uh, True Detective, the first season. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's 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 the guy because that's when I when I was reading about it, um, that's where he he came from was uh, True Detective. I think I can't. I know he's in other stuff. I'm not a great uh, person with names, but that might be all right. But I mean. I, I did like some of the actors in the original. Like, you know, I thought um, Rob Lowe was good as the character. Um, Nick. Uh, Nick. 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 Yep. Uh, Gary Oldman, I thought, was pretty good. Yep. Um, You mean uh, Gary Sinise? 
Yeah. I'd like Gary Oldman, too. Gary Oldman's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, I like Gary Oldman, too. But, uh, yeah, Gary, Gary Sinise is good in it. Um, Eurablo's good in it. Uh, Wilford Brimley's probably in it. He's good in it. Probably. Probably. We got Norm MacDonald as uh, <laughs> Randall Flagg. <laughs> well, Nor- that's the worst part of that miniseries is Randall Flagg. And Norm MacDonald would have been a much better. Anyone could have been a better Randall Flagg. The guy who played his assist, I don't remember. The guy who was like a, a criminal in the original, who's like basically like his you know, head of operations. That guy was a pretty good actor. I can't remember his name, though. Yeah. Um, Miguel. Uh, Ferreira? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that was him. War, it's fantastic. He is a good. He is a good. Um, a good actor, though. Yeah, and speaking of bad CGI, oh my god, the end of that movie had some of the worst CGI I've ever seen. Randall, I don't know. Randall Flag like turned into something. I, some I mean, kind I of guess demonish devil thing. Yeah. And then when I saw Laura Sage, you come, I'm like, you're not supposed to have tits. <laughs> Oh, Laura Sangiacomo. There's another mid '90s name. Yeah, that was a and uh, ah, <laughs> oh, geez, I do not know his name, but I feel really bad about this. The guy from the Hardee's commercials who plays Patrick on um, Michael something. I think his name is. It's with an F. He might be directing the new Sand movie by his last name. Michael in the oh, Hardee's the commercials. Played- yeah, the guy who plays Dauber, who played Dauber on Coach. Oh, yeah. Uh, M-O-O-N, that spells moon. Yeah. It's a big hearty. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that he was in, uh, I forgot that he was in, um, in uh, those hearty commercials. Yeah. His name's uh, William uh, Faber. Oh, is that William? I thought it was Michael for some reason. No, it's William uh, Fagerbach. Something like that. Yeah, something like something. That. He's he's <laughs> got he's got a Norwegian name. Right. Now now we're gonna get now a hate mail from the Norwegians. Get a warned us all. Or maybe he's not maybe even he's Norwegian. Not. Maybe it's like Finnish or something like that. And then we'll yeah, get then we'll, uh, get, uh, <laughs> we'll get somebody we'll saying, get somebody uh, saying uh, "Hey, you hey, you think I'm Swedish? I'm uh, Norwegian." I hope it's a, a Danish name because it'll just be due to press to um, message us at all. Yeah. <laughs> Typical American. <laughs> Okay, well, that is our show for tonight. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Did you ever see the show Oz on HBO? Yes, I did. One of the most jarring things I've ever seen is William Faber Baker Mm -hmm. on Oz. Did you remember him on Oz? Yes. He was a white supremacist guard. Oh, God. It's a dauber as a white supremacist. It it, it was crazy. (laughs) But what's even worse is he sounds his his voice he does for Patrick from SpongeBob is basically his voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you close your eyes and you listen to him. It's like Patrick <laughs> talking about the Aryan race. Oh my god. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> oh. oh, every time I see that it's it's the best. I'm gonna have to go back and watch some more Oz now. Fucking it's sweet. been a long time since I've seen that show. Yeah, that's a show that uh, I think was on a little too long. <laughs> no, uh, there was a lot of great actors in there. Um, J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love him. Uh, the guy. Love him. Uh, there's a. I mean, it's just you know, pretty great all throughout. There's that one guy that was on um, 
one of the Law and Orders, but I can't think of his name either. Uh, Christopher Maloney. Yeah. Yeah. SVU, SUV, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, SUV probably. It's probably not SVU. <laughs> Law and Order Sports. <laughs> it's SVU Special Victims Unit, not yeah. SUV. Yeah, the sex yeah, crimes. Yeah. You ever hear John Mulaney's joke about that? No. Oh, uh, John Mulaney is another one that I think is uh, a great stand-up, but he talks about how uh, I'm going to plagiarize John Mulaney's joke here, so John, don't <laughs> so John- sue us. But um, he talks about how he loves that show and he loves iced tea on that that show because he says iced tea treats every case as if it's the first case that he's ever had. And um, and he's like, uh, there's a there's an episode where um, this guy is like a child, like likes child pornography and stuff. And iced tea goes, so hold up. You saying this guy gets off on pictures of little girls and pigtails? <laughs> and John Mulaney's like, y- "Yeah, he's, you you work in the sex crimes division. <laughs> he's a pedophile. You're gonna have to get used to that." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Mulaney is hilarious. But um, yeah, so that is our show for tonight. Um, like I said before, you can reach us on Facebook at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, at Massive Late Fee. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email email us at M-I-C-H-S-P-O-R-T-S-E-N-T at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us uh, at Movies, TV, Music if you want. Uh, that's where a lot of our articles are published, entertainment articles. Mike, do you have, uh, you have anything you want to plug this week? Um, the new Norm Macdonald show on Netflix is pretty good, so yep, I'd watch that yep. if I were you. Absolutely. I would, yeah, for sure. Uh, Norm Macdonald is a great interviewer. Uh, so next week we will uh, be talking more Norm Macdonald, uh, more Hard Target, and uh, join us then. <laughs>